Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. My name is Abel Torres. I'm the Professor and Chair of Dermatology at the University of Florida Gainesville, and I'm here with Dr. Victoria Worth, who is a Professor of Dermatology at the University of Pennsylvania. Welcome, Dr. Worth. Thank you very much for having me. So today we're going to be speaking about some of the work you've been doing, Dr. Worth, specifically your study and your paper that you recently published on diagnosing muscle disease in a cohort of classic dermatomyositis patients seen at a rheumatologic dermatology outpatient clinic. That's a little mouthful. Tell me what sparked your interest in this and maybe give us a little brief synopsis of your study. Absolutely. Well, I think what sparked our interest in this is that we often will see patients who have very classical bindings of skin disease and dermatomyositis, and they get sent to us after having also had a muscle biopsy. And very often the muscle biopsy we find is not that informative. It can be negative. And even in the face of abnormal EMGs and MRI of the muscle. And it struck us that if we can show that somebody has dermatomyositis and a skin biopsy is showing interface dermatitis, that maybe we might be able to save our patients from having it's a fairly morbid procedure with the muscle biopsy. So the goal of the study was really just to look at our outcomes and our population. And we have a lot of dermatomyositis patients that we see all the time. And we wanted to see what was the utility of having a muscle biopsy and what were the outcomes relative to other ways of diagnosing the disease. And in terms of the patients that you saw, so it said that you saw 275 patients were reviewed, right? To investigate the presence of cutaneous and muscle disease and their timing in relation to diagnosis and results of skin biopsies, muscle biopsies, magnetic resonance imaging, and electromyography. So can you tell us a little bit about those studies and why those are the ones that you would be looking at? Absolutely. So we actually have a very robust clinic. We see many new DM patients all the time. We have now about 450 patients that are in a prospective database. And we often, but not in every patient, but if they have muscle complaints, then we will get MRI, CPK, do a muscle exam. And also very often, if they've had a muscle biopsy, we may also compare those results. And so the standard workup for muscle disease in dermato, and I think this is something dermatologists can do. If a patient's complaining of proximal weakness or pain, in their muscle groups, then I would normally order either an EMG or an MRI. The MRI is quite informative because you can see inflammation or you can also see evidence from muscle edema and it can be read out as showing dermatomyositis. Some patients may prefer to have an EMG done and that's certainly another way to see if the patient has the muscle findings that would go along with dermatomyositis. But those would be the standard approaches that I would take in a patient who I know has skin dermato and I'm trying to to figure out if they have muscle disease. And I think there's a need to document whether the muscle biopsies are informative or not. Again, because the patients often complain about the biopsy long after it's been done in terms of pain and, and the scarring and so on. So I think it's a really reasonable question to see whether we can go to more non-invasive ways of diagnosing the muscle disease. And so in talking a little bit about muscle biopsies, so I think a lot of us think that muscle biopsy is the gold standard for diagnosing dermatomyositis, but is that really true? What is the basis for saying that that is the way to diagnose? Are there problems with sampling errors and other issues that can happen? 
Sure. I mean, that exactly is the problem is that there are skip areas, just like in the skin, there's skip areas, but in the muscles are skip areas and you can have completely normal findings in somebody who, when you've done an MRI or EMG, they may actually have abnormalities. And so it's not a perfect gold standard. I mean, it was just something I think, especially since neurologists are often the patients who, for instance, might be seeing these patients, I think they gravitate to just like we do in the skin, looking at skin, they want to look at muscle. And I think there's certain patients, the ones that we don't tend to see who have just purely polymyositis or inclusion body myositis, where there's clearly an important role for doing um, muscle biopsies. But I think that my point is just that if there's skin disease, then maybe we need to recalibrate how we approach our workup. And kind of following up on that a little bit also, the muscle biopsy has a high cost, not just morbidity, but an actual cost as well. Is that correct? Or yeah, I mean, definitely you've got the cost of usually, you know, going to the OR, the processing of the tissue, the pathology, and it is a pretty expensive procedure and more expensive than, for instance, getting an MRI or an EMG. So tell us a little bit more about your study, you know, what you did and what the results were. Sure. So we basically have an, a clinic where we, again, see many patients who have skin predominant disease, but also those who have muscle disease. So there were 270 patients from our DM database at the time that we did the study and 160 of two of them, a majority of them were diagnosed with classic dermatomyositis, meaning muscle and skin. And of those 46 patients with classic dermato had undergone muscle biopsy. 28 had also gotten EMGs or MRI. So that was a really nice opportunity to be able to compare these results. And 24 of them had received a muscle biopsy and a skin biopsy. So then we can also compare the results that way as well. And so what we found was that about 46% of the patients who had gotten a muscle biopsy and EMG or MRIs of the 28 patients, 46% of them had a muscle biopsy consistent with DM and also EMG or MRI. But in the muscle biopsy realm, there were actually 29% of the patients who had a negative muscle biopsy, but had had typical findings of muscle involvement by EMG or MRI. And then on the other hand, there were 25% of patients who did have a muscle biopsy, but had non-invasive methods that were not also reliable or did not show muscle disease. And so the point being that there's not a perfect test, but in some ways we were able to really document both by muscle exam, muscle enzymes, and then also pick up a lot more of the patients by EMG MRI than by muscle biopsy. So in the patients who had had muscle and skin biopsies, those who had a muscle biopsy consistent with DM, about 66% uh, of the 24 patients that had both a muscle biopsy consistent with DM also had a skin biopsy, but there were an additional four patients where the muscle biopsy wasn't helpful, but the skin biopsy was. And then there were two patients where the muscle biopsy was consistent with DM and the skin biopsy was not. So again, the skin biopsy was actually more informative than the muscle biopsy in the in establishing a diagnosis of dermatomyositis. So I think the conclusion here is that less invasive testing may either agree with or detect muscle disease when muscle biopsies can't be done, and that muscle and skin biopsies reveal dermatomyositis in about 67% of patients, so not in every single patient, and that we should really be thinking more about the use of non-invasive testing rather than muscle biopsy for patients where we know that the skin findings are consistent with dermatomyositis. 
so and an important part is that you also looked at the costs, right? Because I think some people automatically think, oh, wow, MRI or EMG studies, these are going to be expensive. If we're ordering these tests on patients, are we ordering something expensive? Didn't you find that it was actually cost-effective when you were looking at it? That's right. I mean, these non-invasive tests are less expensive than doing a muscle biopsy. And therefore, even from a cost perspective, one could, in addition to, again, not doing a morbid procedure and the same or even better outcomes, it would make perfect sense to use these non-invasive methods. Great. If I see a patient, what's kind of the algorithm I should follow in terms of your suggestion? So what I would normally say is if they have skin disease, we check for lung disease, actually, we make sure they're not having arthritis and we check up for muscle symptoms. And I think it's reasonable when the patient initially presents to check a CPK and aldolase. But in my experience, it's usually occasionally they'll be abnormal in a patient who's asymptomatic from a muscle standpoint. But then the question becomes, what do you do about that? If they don't have any symptoms, are you going to actually aggressively treat them? And the answer might be actually, no, you might just follow them. If somebody is weak or has muscle pain, then I would also get muscle enzymes at that point. But I would get the non-invasive testing, whether or not they're normal, because very often patients with dermatomyositis can have normal muscle enzymes, and they actually don't go to the same levels one might expect in lots of patients who have active muscle disease. So they're reasonable to get, but they're not as helpful as you might think. Excellent. Yeah, because I think a lot of us that trained in the past think of the enzymes are normal, that you don't have to go any further, but you're saying that that's not the case and that these non-invasive tests can be useful in that regard. They can be. And also the patients can have symptoms and not have obvious muscle disease on these non-invasive testing. And they may still have a rather mild muscle disease or fascial disease, which may not obviously affect the enzymes or the non-invasive testing. So I think you have to, in patients with symptoms, you really are obligated to make sure if there's enough disease present that you can detect it on these non-invasive methods. And then otherwise you may just more direct things towards the skin in terms of treatment. Another thing that I found interesting in your paper is I think the majority of the patients that were diagnosed were not that were diagnosed independent of muscle biopsies, right? For their uh, having the dermatomyositis. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the patients have a myopathic DM and they don't even have muscle and they certainly don't need, you know, to my way of thinking, any kind of muscle imaging or evaluation if they have no symptoms. And that's over half of our patients are in that category. Then I would say there's another group that clearly has more potential muscle disease and they deserve a workup, but I don't necessarily work up every single patient. Excellent. All right. Well, any other words of wisdom that you can give us? Well, I think my only other, and this is unrelated to this particular article, but we see a lot of interstitial lung disease in these patients and you really want to get baseline pulmonary function tests and probably follow them initially, at least yearly, even if they're normal for a while to make sure that, that nothing is changing. That's one thing. And we have myositis antibodies now and they're not perfect. And they're, I think in our population of patients, they're frequently negative. So it's important when you, if you get them and you should probably get them to warn the patient that that doesn't mean they don't have dermatomyositis if they have a negative uh, autoantibodies. That's actually more common. Probably only about 10% of our patients have autoantibodies. Interesting. And, and talking about looking at these tests, what role do these tests play on the, with regards to following the patient once you start treating them? So in terms of the autoantibodies, we, you know, once you have them, you don't follow them. I mean, they're not going to change necessarily, and it's not very important in terms of managing the disease. So they don't really play a role. However, with the lung disease, obviously, you're going to target that for therapy if that's involved. And if it's becoming more progressive, then we collaborate with our pulmonary colleagues as well. 
What about the non-invasive studies? Do you utilize those in following the patients in any way? Absolutely. We get pulmonary function tests at baseline. And then if there's abnormal, we'll follow them more frequently, but at least once a year, even in the patients who don't have ILD that would happen to be more skin predominant, we're going to still be checking their lungs to make sure nothing is changing and causing us to want. And if they're abnormal, we're getting a high-res CT to look for an ILD. And one of the things is the interstitial lung disease now, a lot of times in the past, it was more thought to be idiopathic, but the pulmonary clinics are actually checking more antibodies as well and finding more these patients who have lung disease and some of them have very mild skin, but we still have to pay attention to them. And what about for the myositis? Do you follow them with EMGs or with the MRIs at all? So sometimes we'll follow serial muscle enzymes. Um, normally, I don't repeat that kind of testing unless you're in a situation where you're not sure the patient has active disease and there's a question about how you're going to change therapy or reinstitute therapy. There'll be some patients where you want to repeat it. If you're not sure, for instance, if they're on hydroxychloroquine and they develop muscle weakness and you want to make sure if it's drug related from the hydroxychloroquine or is this their disease, there may be situations where you do want to recheck, but I wouldn't say that we do that routinely. Well, thank you, Dr. Worth, for a very informative session. I think our viewers are going to find it very useful. Great. Thank you so much for, for speaking with me. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.